So, as I said, um, Mark was supposed to preach this morning and called me yesterday and, and uh, had lost his voice. So, I, I went to the files and uh, looked back through some messages that I had done around uh, New Year's uh, over the years and found this passage that I preached uh, back in 2012. And um, as I was looking through it, um, it, it, felt, it, it came across something that I really needed. And so I hope and pray it will be that for you. So I've, I've revisited this sermon and, and, and um, updated it and rewritten it a little bit for us this morning. When I preached it back in 2012, um, I did an informal poll about New Year's resolutions around the office and uh, got typical stuff. Uh, you want to get in shape this year, want to improve on spiritual disciplines, want to work on my marriage, things like this. Um, Mark Randall, though, had one resolution that year, and it was to keep a bag of apples in his office. Uh, that, my friends, is what I call a Mark Randall New Year's resolution. Um, I have these great grand visions of becoming this whole new person, and, and the year's going to be like this amazing, transformative moment in my life. Mark wants to keep a bag of apples in his office. It's steady, it's obtainable, it's doable, um, and I would expect nothing less from Mark. It's actually what I love and envy about Mark and wish I had more of him in me. Well, last night I asked, what are your New Year's resolutions for this year? And he said, you know, actually, nothing. Um, <laughs> okay. I said, okay. He said, you know, I've decided they're pointless. Uh, he said, because I can't keep them. And he said, the last year I decided to do is when I made resolutions to keep a bag of apples in my office, and I couldn't even do that. <laughs> now listen, if Mark Randall, the most steady, faithful, disciplined, make-a-goal, check-it-off type of guy, was unable to keep a bag of apples as his resolution, then what hope do you have and do I have with our New Year's resolutions? But here's what I would say. You already know that. I'd love for you to look back at where you were this time last year and what you wanted to be this time next year. And I hope and pray you've seen improvements and I'm sure the Lord has worked and changed us and, and been faithful in that. But also uh, would probably, uh, probably uh, guess that um, maybe this year is you asking for more of the same that you were asking for last year and the last year and the last year. You see, I believe we find the concept of change to be an utterly frustrating process for all of us. From seemingly superficial goals as losing a few pounds to deeply serious ones like ridding ourselves of addiction. If there is one thing that we can all relate to, it is failure to change like we want to change. But I want you to know that change actually is possible. Just because we fail at our New Year's resolutions, just because we have these grand visions of what we want to be and we make goals and, and end up failing at these goals, don't believe the lie that change is impossible. You can be different. But it's going to take more than New Year's resolutions. The concept of resolution is grounded in my own resolve. There's nothing wrong with resolutions. I appreciate Jonathan Edwards' famous resolutions. I have resolutions for my life. There's nothing wrong with it. But that is not the agent of change. 
Because it's rooted in my own resolve. Change requires much more than my resolve. It requires Jesus. His gospel, his spirit, his power. Jesus is our agent of change, not my resoluteness. And we see that in our passage this morning. We're going to look at two things here. The weakness of the flesh and the power of the gospel. We're going to see the weakness of the flesh play out here in these disciples. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest and crucifixion. And he needs to spend time in prayer. He takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He tells them that he's overwhelmed with sorrow. Asks them to sit and keep watch while he goes off and prays. Comes back and his closest friends, his disciples, in his deepest hour of fear and worry and need are asleep. He wakes them up and he says these words that I believe perfectly articulate the struggle of every follower of Jesus. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is so weak. Is that not you? It certainly is me. I genuinely want to do what God wants me to do. The spirit is willing. But there is this inescapable weakness that seems to always hijack my sincere desires. That's what is happening in our text. These guys aren't just flippantly disobeying Jesus. They want to do what he asks. So why don't they? Well, it's, it's really simple. <laughs> I love the explanation in verse 43. He came back again. He again found them sleeping. And it says, because their eyes were heavy. Don't you love how the text doesn't over-spiritualize things? Why didn't they obey what Jesus asked them to do? Because they're tired. Their eyes are heavy. Willing spirit, tired eyes. And their sleepiness is more powerful than their willingness. I love how just normal that is. Because we can relate to that. And I'm not just talking about fatigue. I'm talking about the paradigm as a whole. This struggle, if you're like me, then you, you've been here where they are a thousand times before. This little interaction exemplifies our day-in, day-out battles for change. It could be getting up 30 minutes early to read your Bible and pray, all the way to resisting the most profound temptations of life. On the most basic level in our text, Jesus is asking them to do something and they genuinely want to do it, but the weakness of the flesh hijacks their very genuine desires. They're tired. And it's easier to fall asleep than to watch and pray. That is the essence of the Christian struggle. And this is something we all know so well. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you, it, it, you know, it's really time for you to seek me with your whole heart. It's time. Whether it's in prayer, whether it's a disciplined uh, time in the word, whether it's community and fellowship, whether it's getting accountability in your life, it, it, it's time for you to practice the spiritual disciplines of the faith. And if you are a Christian, you want to do them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You're tired. You want to sleep in in the morning. You don't want to get up. You want to watch TV at night. You want to get lost in social media. 
We want to practice the spiritual disciplines, but it's hard to practice the spiritual disciplines. And so often, like the disciples give in to their heavy eyes, we give in to the weakness of our flesh. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you, it's time for you to get some control over your appetites. It's time to practice self-control. Christians are people who tell their appetites no. For too long, you've been mastered by your appetites, eating whatever you want, drinking whatever you want, viewing whatever you want, purchasing whatever you want. And Jesus says, it's time for you to tell yourself no. Self-control, self-discipline. And you want that. There's not any part of you that doesn't want that. You want to tell yourself no. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. I'm hungry. They were tired. I'm hungry. Not, not, not just physically hungry, but a deeper hungry. This, this thing's my comfort. This is my escape. This is my pleasure in my otherwise boring, mundane life. I want it. So there we are, like the disciples, with heavy eyes, we give in to our hungers, our wants, our flesh. And on and on we could go with this. To me, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak is a profound commentary on the life of every believer this side of glory. And perhaps January 1st stirs hopes of change, but experience has proven that January 1st resolutions are not more powerful than the weakness of the flesh. They might add this glimmer of hope for a bit, but in the end, New Year's resolutions are not more powerful than the flesh. So is that it? Are we just doomed to this life of perpetual failure? Change is impossible. The weakness of the flesh will always be stronger than my willingness of the spirit. Just going to have to live as failure until glory. That would be the lie of this situation. That would be the wrong takeaway. We can actually change. We can actually be different. You can be different. And I'm not just talking about habits. I'm talking about as a person. Did you know that you can be a different person? You can. But not by your own strength. Not by resolutions. Your resolve is not stronger than the weakness of your flesh, but Jesus Christ is stronger than the weakness of your flesh. You can be different, but only Jesus can make you different. We've seen the weakness of the flesh. Let's now ponder the power of the gospel. What you need to know about the gospel is that it is not just the power to save, it is the power to change. Not just salvation, but transformation. Now, I think we, especially in our particular tradition have a very good articulation of how the gospel saves us. But I think we are very deficient in understanding how the gospel actually changes us. In our passage, you have the disciples as weak and faithless, especially Peter. He's the one getting singled out here as usual. He comes back and says, Peter, you're sleeping. You couldn't stay awake for just one hour. So you got Peter, weak and faithless, not able to keep his eyes open for Jesus. But then... He is transformed into this bold, courageous preacher of Pentecost just a month later. And these disciples are transformed into these bold, courageous people who once couldn't keep their eyes open for Jesus and are now willing to die for Jesus. What happened? What happened? Did they make New Year's resolutions and all of a sudden change themselves? No, what happened was the two most monumental acts that will change everything for us. 
What is going on in our passage? Why is Jesus so overwhelmed? Well, you know why. He's preparing to die. And then, after death, resurrection. And it is his death and resurrection that unlocks the power of true transformation in our lives. Because his death and resurrection each eliminate the two biggest obstacles we face when it comes to change. When it comes to change, there are two things that repeatedly stand in our way and the death and resurrection of Jesus are the answer to both. Let me tell you what they are and show you how Jesus defeats them. Our two biggest enemies when it comes to change in our lives are guilt and doubt. Guilt over our inability to change and doubt that we will ever be able to change. To our guilt, I proclaim to you Christ crucified. To our doubt, I proclaim to you Christ risen from the dead. Let's look at each of those in more detail. First, what do we do with our guilt? Years of guilt, decades of guilt over our inability to change. Well, why did Jesus die? Jesus died to forgive you. And when I say forgive you, I mean forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, forgive you. All sins, past, present, future, are forgiven and forgotten. There is literally not an ounce of guilt and condemnation left for you. He took it all. Do you know what this means? It is never too late. Endless second chances. Or as the scriptures proclaim, new mercies every single morning. And that is so important to our desire for change. What is it about January 1st after all? What is it that makes us feel this ability to make new resolutions? Well, it's the feeling of newness. People feel like they can start over for some reason. Clean slate. No matter what I did this past year, today feels like the day where I can actually get to start over. I blew it last year. I can start over now. And that's huge when it comes to change in our lives. Huge. Because we get caught in this downward spiral of guilt and shame over our failures to the point where it feels utterly insurmountable. Just a heap of guilt and failure that I can't get out of. What's the use in even trying? So we give in even more to our weakness, which compounds the guilt and the burden gets even heavier. But if there were some way, and and those of you living with regret, don't don't you feel this? If there were some way that you could just start over, if you could just reset this whole thing and give it another try, then then how freeing would that be? Does that not feel so much more doable than digging yourself out of this pit of guilt? If I could just start over, I feel like that's more doable. And January 1 gives us this faux sense of being able to hit reset. It's not truly a reset. There's nothing special about January 1, but it gives us a feeling that maybe we can start over. Well, do you know what the cross says to us? Every day, in a very real sense, not a fake sense, in a very real sense, you wake up with a clean slate. Every day, you wake up with a fresh start. Every day, you wake up and get a do-over handed to you. We get so paralyzed by years of failure and feel so guilty and depressed and overwhelmed. We say, I'm such a mess, I don't even know where to start. The cross says to you, how about tomorrow? How about tomorrow? 
and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, because His mercy will be waiting for you new every morning. So you've blown it. Okay, you've blown it. So have I. The death of Jesus is this fountain of endless newness. Why not tomorrow? So the obstacle of guilt is overcome by the cross. The second obstacle to change for all of us is doubt. And doubt is defeated by the resurrection. If I were to ask you what the central application of 1 Corinthians 15 was, what would be your answer? 1 Corinthians 15, for those of you who don't know, is Paul's uh, most, is his major teaching on the resurrection. And the entire point pretty much of 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. Therefore, you will be risen from the dead. And as in the same way he was risen from the dead incorruptible, you will rise incorruptible. Meaning, Jesus is risen, you're going to be raised perfect. Okay? That's the central point of 1 Corinthians 15. It's a promise of a future, eternal, glorious, resurrected estate. What would you suppose is Paul's main application to that teaching? We would expect it to be a future application, right? Take heart. The day is coming. Set your eyes upon future glory. You shall be changed. I know you're struggling now. Just hold on until you can get there. But that is not how he ends the chapter. I'll read it for you. This is the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. He just had his famous boast. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, here's his application. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you know what he's saying there? Be because of the surety of future perfection, get to work right now. Apparently, Paul believes that the promise of future resurrection change is, is meant to bring about present change. What we shall be is intended to affect what we are trying to be now. And that future promise of change, rightfully understood, will do just that. Because what it does is it shatters our cynicism that change is even possible. Have you ever noticed these workout plans, dieting plans, always market themselves with before and after pics? You know, you know why they're doing that? You know what's going on there? They are stirring hope. They are evoking hope of transformation in your life. Because they know, they know you are incredibly cynical that you could ever lose weight. That you could ever have six-pack abs. I can't put that. There's no way. So what they do is they show somebody that looks just like you. And then they show him with the spray tan and six-pack abs. He says, look, you can do this. He used to look like you. Now look at him. Can you imagine yourself in that transformation? They give you the end product to stir this imagination and hope and to defeat your cynicism of change. Don't listen to your doubts that says our workout plan will never work for you. Look at this picture. Change is possible. Your labor is not in vain, to quote the Apostle Paul. And there's a lot of power there. Because deep down, we truly doubt that change is possible. This is just who I am. My pathology is inescapable. My habits are unbreakable. My failure is unavoidable. This is just who I am. So what's the point of being, even trying to be different? 
Well, the resurrection of Jesus is intended to awaken you from that, that slumber of that disparaging lie which paralyzes us. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us our own after picture, not somebody else's after picture, your after picture. He says, you shall be changed. You shall be raised incorruptible. This will be you. Therefore, contrary to your cynicism of the flesh, your labor is not in vain. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a motivational tool toward change. It guarantees change. It is a certainty. God did it to him and promises to do it to us. Now, let that future glory free you from the entrapment of defeatism now. You are no longer allowed to say, I just can't imagine life not in bondage to this weakness. You're not allowed to say that. The resurrection doesn't just ask you to imagine that life. It guarantees you that life. You will be free. You will be glorified. You will be perfected. Therefore, any thought that you can't be moving toward that now, that you can't begin experiencing that now, that you can't change for the better now, any thought like that has to be a lie. I can't change is categorically untrue in a denial of the resurrection because the resurrection says you shall be changed. Now give yourself to the change that you are one day guaranteed to have. All right, let's apply this specifically as possible. In our passage, Jesus asks his disciples to stay awake and watch, but they didn't because they were tired. What is the one thing that you know he is asking of you, but for whatever reason, you're just not doing it? And the Spirit, the Spirit is always faithful here. It could be something he's been asking of you for years. But the Spirit is willing and the flesh is just too weak. What is the one thing that you know he is asking of you, but for whatever reason of the flesh, you aren't doing it? One thing you, your Spirit truly wants to happen it, it, it's not, the, it's, the reason it's not happening is not because you don't want it to happen. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is just too weak. What is that? Now, I'm not going to ask you to write down as a resolution for 2018 that you're going to do that only to go to the graveyard of past resolutions. Instead, I'm going to ask you to submit that, submit that to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, the cross. I don't care how many times you have failed. Perhaps you can't even count. It doesn't matter. God remembers your sins no more. I don't care how many times you have been weak in that struggle. God remembers your sins no more. He cannot remember what you cannot forget. It's over. Tomorrow you get a redo. And every day you get a redo for the rest of your life. Your guilt says you've already caused such a mess, so what's the use in trying? The cross says you have no mess, so why not try today? No matter what you have done and how much you have done it, right now in this moment you have a totally clean slate in the name of Jesus and you can start over. Let his cross remove the paralyzing guilt of that struggle. Now the resurrection. 
I don't care if you can't envision a life free from this struggle. I don't care if you have longed for change for years and you haven't seen it. You will see it. As sure as Jesus is risen from the dead, you will see this change. With 100% certainty, you will have the change that you so desire. Therefore, your labors now to see that change come to be are not in vain. In fact, they are guaranteed effectual. Anything you do toward that change is guaranteed to work in the end when it finds its fulfillment in the resurrection. Your doubt says, I'll never be different, so what's the use in trying? The resurrection says, you shall be different, so what's the use in not trying? Let his resurrection remove your cynicism that is paralyzing you in that struggle. So take your struggle, that area where the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, and don't give it to a list of resolutions. Give it to Jesus, to his cross that removes all guilt, to his resurrection that removes all doubt. You can change because Jesus can change you. Let me pray. Lord, help us to believe that. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing for me to say it. It's another thing for us truly to believe that the cross gives us endless second chances and the resurrection guarantees the effectiveness of our labors. Lord, as we come now to your table, I pray that you would use the sacrament to assure us of just that, that we are forgiven and that change is certain. Bless your people as we now partake. Through Christ we pray, amen.